You're listening to audio from Christ Covenant Buckhead. If you're interested in learning more, visit ChristCovenantBuckhead.org. Our scripture reading for today, we continue in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we're again reading a very familiar passage, the Lord's Prayer, and I ask you just to think about this passage uh, along with me. You can read it, you can follow along as uh, I read it aloud, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, of course, These are the words of Christ, but they are recorded by the gospel writer Matthew, and they come to us today with authority, the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching us, were speaking to us. So uh, as you turn your Bibles to Matthew 6, 9, um, I invite you to follow along as I read aloud, and let's listen together to the word of Christ. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, most likely when you have said the Lord's Prayer in the past, when you learned the Lord's Prayer, you you have concluded the Lord's Prayer uh, with a, a part that's actually not in the text. This, this kind of phrase that we use at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And it's a, it's a great way to conclude the prayer. There's nothing wrong with saying it, but as you notice here, it's, it's actually not in the Bible. It's actually not a part of the actual prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. But the way that the prayer does end, or the, the next thought, I guess, after the prayer ends, as we see here in verse 14, is kind of this haunting and weighty warning. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, forgiveness, obviously, is one of the central themes of Christianity. You don't have to know much about Christianity to know that. Forgiveness is something that we think about and talk about. But forgiveness is also one of the parts of Christianity that can be, I think if it's not understood, a little troubling. I remember listening to Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Some of y'all remember Christopher Hitchens. He actually died in 2011, but he was one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. He spoke strongly against Christianity. He spoke strongly against theism in general. Um, but, but he said one time, I remember listening to him in a debate, and he said that, you, that, that forgiveness is immoral. That, that Christian forgiveness, this idea of Christian forgiveness or this I- idea of vicarious forgiveness uh, is, is an immoral thing to believe. He says you cannot relieve people of their responsibility, and it's immoral to offer this. He was, he was kind of talking about the idea. He said, you, a person can be punished in place of another. He gave the example of Sidney Carton and Tale of Two Cities. But a person cannot relieve the responsibility of another. He goes on to say, uh, the moral rot of Christianity is exposed in its central doctrine of vicarious forgiveness. It's an abdication of moral responsibility. Now, I know that we're here in church today, and none of us want to like, agree with Christopher Hitchens, but if we have to be very honest, there's probably a part of us that has struggled in the same way. 
how does Christian forgiveness really work? I mean, can you really just be abdicated of your responsibility? Can you really just be forgiven because of something that Jesus did? Like, don't you have to do something, right? I mean, don't you, don't you have to do something? Is it really fair? Is this really even a moral religion? Is this really even a moral thing to believe? It's the whole, like, thief on the cross thing, right? You know, this guy spent his whole life in sin. The very end, I mean, right, he's on the cross. Right before he dies, he says to Jesus, please remember me. And he is in heaven too. You know, why don't we all just do that, right? Why don't we all just live however we want to live for our whole lives and then at the very end, you know, cry out to God and, and it'll go well for us too. Is this, does this really make moral sense? Can we really believe these things? Or even when people, when Christians forgive one another, we're asked to forgive one another. Is that even good? I mean, forgive one another. Do we, do we really pass over the, the judgment of their moral responsibility that they have? What about justice? You know, there's this desire for justice in all of us. What about justice? Are we really just supposed to forgive? And of course, this brings up a lot of questions about justice and forgiveness and even the nature of salvation. So I'm really glad that you came today. We, we've been in a series where we've been talking about Christian virtue and not just learning about Christian virtue, not just, um, you know, trying to act virtuously, but, but really trying to pursue becoming virtuous people. Uh, not virtue as a means to gain salvation, but, but virtue as a means uh, or as a response to the favor with God that we have to, to, to not be virtuous to some end, but to actually just be virtuous because that's who we are. So again, for example, we've been saying, well, we don't want to just act with humility. We want to be humble people. And today we, we don't want to just, we don't want to just say, we don't just teach you how to say, I forgive you and act forgiving but what does it actually mean to forgive? What does it actually mean to release someone of an offense that they may have committed? What does it actually mean to be resolved and to find peace in the face of great offenses? And of course, we've been saying through this whole series that, that one of the ways that we ignite or tap into what godliness that is within us as believers is through prayer. And what Jesus has given us in this prayer, I believe, is an incredible pathway to forgiveness. And I want to talk about three things with you today. First of all, the forgiveness of God. So how do we understand God's forgiveness? Secondly, the, the forgiveness of man. And then thirdly, where the two collide. So let's talk about the forgiveness of God. As I mentioned, there's a problem with forgiveness. And the problem with forgiveness is justice right? If we just forgive, where, how do we have justice? There is a debt, right? The, the debt must be paid. If you just forgive someone's debt, what does that really mean? Uh, if, and, and what it means is that if you pay someone's debt, if someone's debt is paid, there is a charge that is withdrawn from some account. If you forgive someone's debt, then the charge has been drawn from your account, and so what Hitchens is, is saying here, what Hitchens was saying in his statement is, is how can this be right? How can this be morally good? How can this be fair? And again, we, we all understand this because we understand justice. We want the world to be fair. We want the world to be right. Who is going to pay the debt? How is that just? And again, you're right to desire justice. This is something that God has put into us. It's, it's part of, it's an echo of the image of God 
that is in all of you. God is just, and therefore we desire justice. Even if you aren't a Christian, if you don't believe in God, to some degree or another, you want a just world. Uh, I was reading an article, I haven't read the book, but but James Comey just wrote this book, uh, some of y'all have heard about it, A Higher Loyalty. And he talks a lot about justice in the book. He says it's, it's necessary for democracy. There has to be some sense of justice. There has to be some sense of a rule of law. Without this, we can't even have democracy. He writes this, there was once a time when people worried about going to hell, right? So there was once a time where there was some sort of fear of God in our culture. If they violated an oath taken in the name of God, of course, still in our court system, people swear an oath. They, they swear before God. They put their hand on the Bible. This is a divine deterrence, as he said, but that divine deterrence has slipped away from our modern cultures. In its place, people must fear going to jail. They must fear their lives being turned upside down. They must fear their pictures being splashed on newspapers and websites. And so what is Comey saying here? He's saying, look, in order to have rule, in order to have justice, that there has to be someone holding the line. It, it used to be God. We used to believe in divine justice. Now, you know, we, we don't have God anymore, so we just have to trust the government and the media. Because, of course, we all trust the government and the media. And we love these things holding the line. But no, don't you see what Comey's saying here? This is a secular world. But, but still, there's a need. Still, there's a need for justice, for someone to hold the line, for someone to, to keep things intact, for someone to, to make sure that rules are being followed. Christians, of course, we believe this is God. We are not hopefully post, uh, we're not, we haven't moved away from God. We haven't, God hasn't slipped away from our hearts and minds. We believe that God is the one who will ultimately make all things right and good, that we believe that God is just. But if that is the case, then what do we do with forgiveness? How will the debt be paid? If God forgives us, then how will the wrongs be made right? And of course, as I said, Christopher Hitchens was bothered by this idea that one person could pay the price of another. People should take responsibility for their own actions. People should pay the price for their own sin and then be forgiven. But, but the problem with Hitchens' argument is that he didn't even really have a category for forgiveness. He, he only had a category for justice. Forgiveness by definition. This, this idea, this, this, this word means by definition that the responsibility, not just the punishment, but the responsibility is taken away. The, the Greek here for forgiveness is a theomy, a theomy. And that word literally means to relieve someone of a duty or a responsibility. It's actually used in terms of relieving someone of a task, relieving someone of a military responsibility, relieving somebody of a job, letting somebody go of a job, right? If you get let go, if you get relieved from your job on a Friday, you know what you're not going to do on Monday? You're not going to show up for work, Right? You've been relieved of your responsibility. That, that, that responsibility is no longer yours to bear, but whatever happens if somebody is relieved from their job, if somebody is relieved from a duty, what happens? The duty is transferred to someone else. Someone leaves your workplace, what happens? Everybody, somebody has to pick up the slack. The, the responsibility has been transferred. This is this idea of a theomy, to be released from a duty 
the duty has been passed to another. Some of y'all know that this week, actually, Blake Rogers is coming on full-time staff at Christ Covenant. I'm so excited about that because some of my duties that I've been carrying are going to be released to him. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm, I'm very grateful that he is going to take the mantle. He's going to do, obviously, a better job than I could do in so many of those things. But the, the point is this. Forgiveness, the definition of forgiveness, it, it's not primarily having to do with punishment or who's punished. It, it, ha, it primarily has to do with the responsibility. When you are forgiven, the responsibility of your guilt is transferred to another. To forgive someone means to release someone from their responsibility because it's been transferred to another. And in order for God to forgive us, the responsibility for our sin had to be transferred to another. The punishment for our sin, not just rather the punishment, but the responsibility for our sin had to be transferred to another. This is what Hitchens didn't understand. There's this old song that we sing in church uh, called, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene. It's a song that Christians have been singing for a hundred years now. And there's this great line in it. It says, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. It's not that Jesus just was punished in our place. It's that he became our sin. He took our sin and our sorrows. He made our sin his very own. This is, of course, what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is saying. It says, he who knew no sin became sin. It's not just that our punishment became his. Our record became his. This is what's happening on the cross. It's an exchange of record. It's our guilty record for his innocent record. It's our sinful record for his sinless record. You see, there's a difference. I want you to understand this. There's a difference between a resume and a record or a resume and a file. I think a lot of people have an idea that one day they'll stand before God with their resume. They're all good deeds. But you know, you know about a resume. Before you get a job, you prepare your resume. And you know what you put on your resume? You put your best stuff on there. You put all the good things you've done. You, you don't put, well, one time I actually lost my company a lot of money, but hopefully you'll give me the job. No, you only put the good stuff on the resume. You, only put the, you don't put the college that you failed out of. You put the college that you actually finished from. You only put the good stuff on your resume. But once you get the job, you don't, you don't have a resume anymore, do you? You have what's called a file and you don't control what goes on the file. The, the people that control the, the, the file are your coworkers, namely your boss, and they're putting all this information in there. And they're not just keeping track of the good stuff, are they? Everything goes in your file. All the information that they have for you goes into your file. When you sit down for your performance evaluation, you don't go over your resume. No, you, you go over your file, you go over everything that you have done. And, and the point of this is this. I think a lot of us, as I said, have this idea that one day we'll stand before God and say, look, God, I did this thing. I did all these good deeds. Here's my resume. But God doesn't have our resume. He has our file. He has everything about us. He has our complete record. He knows everything we've ever done. There's this very haunting passage 
in Hebrews chapter 4, it begins talking about the Word of God and it switches. It, it kind of, the Word of God comes alive and becomes a person by the end of the passage. But it says that God knows and judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Just think about that. God knows and judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. You know, I don't want you guys to know every deed I've ever done. You'd certainly be ashamed of me as a man and as your pastor. But I really don't want you to know every thought that I've ever had. And I really don't want you to know every intention I've ever had. I want you to assume, even when my intentions are bad, that they're good. So I try to act like that. But God has, I don't control the information that he has like a resume. He knows, he knows every thought. He knows every intentions of our heart. And then it ends, the, the, that same passage in verse 13, it says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. And I think the question for all of us is, what, what are you going to do on that day? On the day of account, when you are naked and exposed, God has your file. He knows everything. And you know what you're going to do? The only thing you can do is plead for forgiveness. Plead for forgiveness. Don't you see? Well, we're all in need of forgiveness. Who here is going to stand knowing that God knows every thought and intentions of your heart and say, I don't need forgiveness. You, we are in great need of forgiveness. But see, the problem is on that day, and I want you to hear this, church, on that day, the Bible tells us that we will be standing before God alone. There's no one on that day to bear our responsibility. There's, there's, to quote Jesus, the door is shut on that day. But hear this, today the door is open. That's what Jesus says to his church, to his disciples, I am the door. If you come through me, come through me now. There's, there's good pasture to be found now. Come through the door now. He is willing to take on your file. This is the message of the gospel. If you look to him, if you trust in him, he is willing to exchange records with you. His perfect record for your imperfect record. His sinless record for your sinful record. This is what the message of the gospel is all about. Substitution. An exchange of record. God knows every thought, every intention, and our only hope, your only hope, my only hope, is forgiveness, and we can be forgiven because Jesus, when we were naked and exposed, willingly took on our record and was punished in our place. Hitchens doesn't have a category for forgiveness. Jesus didn't just take our punishment. He took our responsibility. Forgiveness only really happens when the record is passed, when responsibility is passed. Forgiveness only really happens when a person becomes detached from their responsibility. And hear this, without forgiveness, without real forgiveness, until you've experienced forgiveness, you've never really understood or experienced love. It's when you experience forgiveness that you start to understand love. Until someone bears with your wrongdoing, until, until someone bears with you through your pain and through, through your mistake, through your wrongdoing, you'll never really know if they love you or not because it may just be a marketplace relationship before that, right? You may just be giving them good things. They're bearing with you because you're giving them things in return. But when they start to bear with you and forgive you, 
of true debt without expecting anything in return, then and only then do you find love. And this is why, I want you to hear this, whenever you read about the love of God in the Bible, you know what's not very far away? Substitution, forgiveness language. Whenever you see the message of the scripture about God loving us, hear this. Don't let anybody confuse you on this. Whenever you hear the message of God's love in the Bible, not very far away is substitution, forgiveness, language. Think about John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did God give his only begotten son? To be our substitute, to be our rescuer, to be our ransom. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Substitution language. There's an exchange going on. Ephesians 2, because of God's great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Substitution, forgiveness. Wherever you see love language in the Bible, it, this grace and forgiveness and substitution language is somewhere nearby. Don't you understand what's happening with the forgiveness of God? It's a substitute. The, the, the responsibility for your debt is being transferred to Jesus, and he willingly takes it, and he willingly bears the weight of it. So then the question becomes, okay, if that is true, if Jesus has done that, and if I believe that, then why do I pray this prayer every day, right? Why do I keep having to pray Forgive us our debts. It, it, there's a sense where this prayer is kind of like forgive us our daily debts as we forgive our daily debtors. And, and, here's, and here's why we have to do this. It's very easy, and for any of you who have been believers for any time, it's very easy to forget where you actually stand before God. It's very easy to forget your need for forgiveness. And what this prayer is basically saying is, I need the mercy of Jesus just as much today as I needed it yesterday, and I need it just as much tomorrow as I need it today. I need every day to be looking away from myself and looking toward Jesus. I need every day to be reminded that I am naked and exposed before the eyes of him who sees my thoughts and intentions, and I am in great need of a Savior. And so forgive us our debts. Forgive us today our debts. Help us look away from ourselves today. As Martin Luther says, the entire Christian life is one of repentance. And again, repentance is not walking around in sackcloth and ashes. So I don't know if you understand what that word means. It's not hanging your head low. No, repentance is looking away from yourself and looking to Jesus. It's finding your identity in him. It's, it's realizing that you are broken before a holy God, but that you are incredibly loved by a loving Savior. So the second thing, we talked about the forgiveness of God. What about the forgiveness of man? And this is where it gets tricky. If you thought that was tricky, this is even more tricky. The forgiveness of man. How are we supposed to understand how we forgive those who trespass against us? Well, there's a couple of ideas that we need to talk about. Reconciliation, forgiveness and reconciliation. And there's different types of forgiveness. I'm going to talk about two today. But I, I want to begin with this idea of the forgiveness of the wrongdoing, forgiveness of wrongdoing. When someone wrongs you, when someone acts unjustly towards you, you, you feel that. You feel that because you're made in the image of God. You have an understanding of justice. You have an understanding of what is right and true with the world. And when someone harms you, when someone sins against you, that is broken. You feel a sense of wrongdoing. And one of the most natural things that happens in your heart and in my heart when someone wrongs you is what? A reaction. If someone slaps you on the cheek, what do you want to do? You want to slap them back. You want to hit them right back. You want to take vengeance 
on them. Part of this is a desire for justice in the world, but part of this is this desire that we all have to, what I'll say, reprove ourselves, right? Someone wrongs you. I mean, one of the first thoughts that I have is you don't know who you just messed with. Who do you think you are doing this to me? There's a sense where in all of these things, we want to re-justify ourselves. We want to reclaim our right on these things. You just hit me. You just did this to me. You can't do this. But, but again, forgive, forgiveness is relieving yourself of this and trusting God. Forgiveness is relieving yourself of vengeance and trusting God. This is a vertical relationship. And this can happen, this can happen just in the heart. Forgiveness is a vertical thing that can happen just in your heart. Look with me at uh, Matthew chapter 6, or rather Mark 11, uh, 25, similar to what we read in Matthew chapter 6. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive you your trespass. So notice what's happening here. This is interesting. You're standing to pray. You're going before God. God brings conviction to your heart. You know that you have something against this person. There's bitterness. There's pain in your heart toward them. While still in prayer, if you will, while still standing and praying, this is a vertical thing. Forgive them so that your Father will forgive you. Don't, don't you see here? This is a, a vertical idea. Make sure there's peace in your heart, not only with God, but with other people before you go before the Lord in prayer. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. But this is not reconciliation yet. This is forgiveness, a vertical heart issue, not reconciliation a horizontal heart issue. This person, this, this person has not forgiven, has not gone to anyone yet, but he can forgive right there. So, so what does it mean to forgive? Let's go to the next slide here. It says, forgive means to trust God with the wrongdoing. Forgive means to trust God with their responsibility of wrong, to not bear the need for justice, the need for vengeance, but to, to relieve yourself of those things and trust God with the wrong of their wrongdoing. To not have to prove yourself, to not have to be the bearer of justice, but to pass those things off to the Lord, to pass that responsibility over to God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's an amazing verse. It's saying, look, even when you're wronged by someone, seek to honor them. Don't just be seeking to repay them. Even when someone wrongs you, seek to honor them back. Verse 18, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The natural position of man is to defend yourself. You mess with the wrong guy, I will show you. But what the Bible is saying here is, look, the, the, the true Christian position, the, the true position of faith is to leave vengeance to God. To believe that God is the perfect judge who will settle all accounts. You can trust him. You can trust him to settle this account. It's a transfer of record, right? That's what we talked about before. If someone's offended you, you take that record and you give it over to the Lord and, and say, Lord, your justice here is more perfect than mine and I can forgive them. 
I want you to hear this. Forgiveness is something that's so misunderstood. When you say, when you forgive someone, you are not declaring what they did as good. You're not saying, oh, what you did is okay. In fact, I would even encourage you to watch your language here. When someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, don't say, oh, it's okay. Don't say, ah, oh, it's all good, man. Rather say, I forgive you. You know, when you say it's okay or it's nothing or it's all good, that's really a mislabeling of things. It's not good. What they did was wrong. What they did was painful. What they did was harmful. What they did was horrible in the sight of you and in the sight of God. So don't, don't lessen that and don't lessen forgiveness with it, but, but say to them, it's as if you're saying, yeah, what you did was wrong, but I forgive you. And don't say that, but just say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I, I, I no longer hold this against you. I have given this file over to the Lord. I am trusting his perfect justice and not my imperfect justice. So therefore, I'm going to forgive the wrongdoing. Now, I want you to hear this. This may not mean that you've been reconciled. And this is where we have to talk about the, the next thing, which is, is reconciliation, or, or what I call the forgiveness of consequence. Now, the Bible certainly does not say, you know, no matter what someone does, never hold consequences against them. It's clearly not the case in the Bible. You know, one of the things the Bible praises is, for example, the sword of the government that brings vengeance on people for wrongdoing, right? So it's, it's not wrong for people to use the sword of the government to make sure that we live in a good society. The Bible talks about confronting wrongdoing, wrongdoers, disciplining wrongdoers. So while forgiveness is a vertical act, trusting their record to God, reconciliation, being reconciled with one another, is a horizontal act. It's interesting. There's a similar passage. We just looked at the Mark 11 passage. There's a similar passage uh, over here in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, you're in your, still in Matthew 6. You can just turn a page back. It says in verse 23, if you're offering a gift at the altar, right? So it's similar. We're in worship. We're offering a gift at the altar. And therefore, remember that your brother has something against you. Now, in the first case, remember, it was you have something against your brother. Now, you remember that your brother has something. You have done something wrong, okay? It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And notice it doesn't use the word forgiveness. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So remember, forgiveness happened. He just was standing and praying, and he could forgive them right there and continue to pray. Reconciliation, you can't do it like that. Reconciliation is not a vertical thing. It's a horizontal thing. He had to leave the offering. He had to leave the time of worship, go to his brother, and begin pursuing reconciliation. He had to go begin pursuing making the wrong right. Now, in this case, of course, this is the offender. And there's a sense where if you're an offender, there's an impotence on you to go and be reconciled. That's not exclusive. There's also times in the Bible where the people who, the one who's offended, for example, Matthew 18, approaches the person uh, for reconciliation. But, but I want you to see here is that forgiveness is primarily, is, is a vertical act. Reconciliation is primarily a horizontal act. Now, true reconciliation can only happen with forgiveness, but true reconciliation, and this is important, can only happen 
when the consequences of a particular sin have been or are being dealt with. Reconciliation can only really happen when the consequences of a particular sin have been or are being dealt with. The forgiveness, the first category of forgiveness I gave you is the forgiveness of wrongdoing. The forgiveness of wrongdoing removes the barrier to reconciliation, but real reconciliation, again, only really happens when the consequences of that sin are dealt with. So you see there's a difference between the offense of a sin and the consequences of a sin. Christians are always forgive the offense of a sin, even though in this broken and fallen world, there may be still be consequences. And this is where this this really tricky. It's hard to talk about in a in a sermon like this. I mean, really, this is kind of a case by case. But th- let me give you a couple of case studies here. You know, one day, let's remember, everything will be made right. All accounts will be settled. There'll be perfect forgiveness, perfect reconciliation. All will be well with the world. But but now, on this side of Christ and His kingdom. There's some tough cases that we have to deal with. In some cases, you will forgive the wrongdoing and you will forgive the consequence. You will pay the debt. You will take care of whatever the consequence is. And I just want to say, Christians, not always, but Christians should be eager to do this, particularly when the person is truly broken in their sin and repentant in their sin. We should be gracious Forgiving people, forgiving not only the offense of the sin, but also the consequence of the sin. That, that's not necessarily something we have to do in every case, but it should be something that we're eager and willing to do. But there's some other cases. In some cases, complete forgiveness and complete restoration or complete reconciliation will happen because you've forgiven the offense and the other party has done what they needed to do. They, they, they paid back the debt. They they did what they had to do. You know, maybe they've stolen money from you and they pay the money back. Now, there may be another consequence from that. In order to fully be reconciled, they, they may have to go to jail for a time because they, they are a threat to the state. And, and that may be part of the reconciliation. There's a real consequence for their action, and that's part of you being reconciled to them. In some cases, there's no repentance. You've forgiven them, right? You, you, you have trusted, you've trusted their file to God, you've passed their file of offense over to God, you're trusting his perfect justice, but they have not owned up to their own sin, they've not repented, they've not recognized it. In that case, there cannot be reconciliation. You, you can't really be reconciled until the consequences of that sin have been dealt with. In some cases, the person may have died. You can forgive them, but obviously it's, it's impossible at that point to pursue any sort of reconciliation. In some cases in this fallen world, there is just an ongoing consequence. I uh, was counseling a guy one time, and he had cheated on his wife. He had cheated on his wife with another Christian gal. And I was talking to him, and his wife was forgiving, and he was working on his marriage, and it was a beautiful story. Restoration was happening in his home. But he started to feel bad uh, because this was another Christian woman that he had done this sin with. And he had, you know, led her into this sin. And he said, I just feel really bad. I, I want to pursue some sort of reconciliation with her. And I said, look, brother, you know, the, the way that you will be reconciled to her is to never talk to her again for the rest of your life. But that is reconciliation. That's just what it looks like in this case. 
in this broken and sinful and fallen world, these things get a little messy. These things get very, very tricky. In this fallen world, forgiveness and reconciliation are difficult. And I just want to say this is why we need one another. It's why we have a church. And I just want to encourage you, if there's something in your life and you're like, I want to forgive or I want to pursue reconciliation, but I don't know exactly how in this situation, this is one of the reasons we have elders. This is one of the reasons we have pastors. I just want to encourage you to find me, to find one of our elders that will help you think through this biblically and help you think through this humbly. There are things that are going to be different when Jesus is reigning. Reconciliation is going to be easier then. Uh, forgiveness will be easier then. But this is so serious. I want you to hear this, church. If you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. Don't just sit on these things. Christians are always to forgive. We're always to be willing to trust God with the offense. And as long as it depends on us, as Romans 12, 18 says, let's live peaceably with all. As long as it depends on us, reconciliation should occur. So we've talked about, and just lastly, we've talked about the forgiveness of God. We've talked about the forgiveness of man. Last thing, let's talk about where the two collide. <coughs> and before we go any further here, if you're kind of came with a friend today, you're new, you're not a believer here, I know you may be thinking, well, you know, this, I thought this would be really helpful. It's about forgiveness. This is only about Christian forgiveness. And I think the best I can tell you is that's, I think, the only way that forgiveness really happens. This is why Hitchens was so confused by it. You can't, outside of Christ, I think there's only a blame shifting. There's only a punishment shifting there isn't true forgiveness. And so I just would plead with you, as I did before, come to know the love of God in Christ. Look to Jesus while you can. But let's talk about this last thing, where the two collide. So how can Christians forgive? Well, first of all, Christians can forgive because we trust the sovereignty of God. Christians can forgive because we trust the sovereignty of God. We believe that God is great, and one day he will settle all accounts. One day every account will be totally settled. And if God is the great judge of the universe, and he will settle every account, then if someone has sinned against you, that sin only further separates them from God and only further incurs his wrath. I want you to hear that. I, there's a lot of people that I've wanted to take vengeance against in my life. But I, I've never wished the wrath of God on anyone. I've never wished that someone would be separated from God. But I want you to hear this. His justice is so much more severe and perfect and complete than mine. He will settle every account. And so if a person who's not a believer has sinned against you, you can forgive them and even pray for them. Knowing that they face God's wrath. And God's justice, which is so much more complete than yours could ever be. And if they are a believer, if the person sinned against you is a believer, then you can trust that Christ has willingly taken on that offense. Whatever that offense was, Jesus willingly took it on and died on the cross in their place. Either way, I can trust in the vengeance of God, and I can trust that it's more severe and more complete and more whole than mine is. His justice is sure. So Christians can forgive because we trust God. But secondly, Christians can forgive, and this is where the two collide, because we have been forgiven much. Don't you see this? Don't you believe this? God, in his incredible mercy, 
was willing to forgive us, was willing that our record of sin, as we stand before him naked, him knowing every thought, every intention of our heart, our record was willingly taken on by Jesus, who never sinned. He was willingly separated from his father in our place. Jesus was willing to be our substitute. And if you're unforgiving, then you don't see this. This is the point. If you have an unforgiving heart, then you have a hard heart. You have a blind heart. Jesus tells the story of, of a king. And there was a man that incurred a great debt against that king. And the king, in his mercy, when the man pleaded, forgave the man of his debt, this enormous debt that he could never pay back. And after the, this man was released from this, of course, he thanked the king. But then the first thing he did is he went out and he found a servant of his that had a very small debt. And he demanded, please pay this debt. Pay this debt right now. And, and when the man could not, he showed him no mercy and actually had him thrown in jail. Well, eventually the king heard of this. And he went to that servant and he said, you wicked servant, are you blind? Do you, do you not see what I have done for you? How could you not do the same for others? Are you blind? Have you not seen what I have done for you? And an unrepentant heart or an unforgiving heart is evidence of an unrepentant heart and even what I would say a blind heart. Don't be so blind to the enormous grace that you have received in Jesus. There's a song we like to sing around here that one of the lines, it's called Beneath the Cross of Jesus, and I love one of the lines. It says, for hands that should discard me hold wounds that tell me come. That's what Jesus should do to each of us. He should discard us. He, 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 we, he, God knows every thought and intention of our heart. Who of us would dare to stand before him? Hands that should discard him. Hold wounds that tell us come. Hold wounds that say you are forgiven. Hold wounds that say come son, come daughter, be forgiven. And if this is true, if you've been forgiven of such a debt, how could you not forgive? Here's the deal. This world is a painful place. And in this world, we will deal with hurt and heartbreak. We will be cheated. We will be lied to. And it's not the end. I don't know what's happened to you. I'm just going to tell you it's not the end. The worst is yet to come, probably. Most of the church here is like 25. The worst is yet to come, okay? It's only downhill from 25. No, I'm just kidding. But, but there's bad stuff that's ahead of you. You're going to be heartbroken and bad things are going to happen. And you're going to feel so betrayed and so cheated. But believe this, that God in his perfect justice is making all things new. He's the only hope we have. God is taking every pain, every heartache, and he's swallowing it up, says the Bible. He's swallowing it up. And I've said so before, but what, what happens to someone, what happens to you when you swallow something? You know what happens to you? You get bigger. You swallow too much, you get too big. You swallow something, you get bigger. And this is exactly, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says that death is swallowed up in victory. Pain is swallowed up in victory. Betrayal is swallowed up in victory. The pain, the heartache, 
the brokenness that other people have endured to you, one day in Christ, it'll all be swallowed up in the victory that he is winning for us. He's making all things new. And we know that victory is ours because hands that should have discarded us have, have brought us in. He took our pains and our sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore our burden all the way to Calvary. Don't you see? And if Jesus has done this for us so that we would not be discarded but called sons and daughters of him, of the living God, then let us go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and um, this word, I pray today, Father, that you would forgive us our debts, that we would look to Jesus today, that you forgive us our debts as we, Lord, forgive those around us, as we forgive the debts that have been incurred against us. Father, please just uh, be gracious to us, we pray. Be merciful to us. And I know that you are and that you have been. And so I, I pray that right now, Lord, that in my heart and in the heart of everyone here, that we would just look to Jesus. We would look to Jesus. We would see the wounds that, that, that say come. See the wounds that say son and daughter. You are loved. May we find our place and trust in him. May we, may we come to this door while it is open. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.